Welcome to the Nurture Small Business Podcast. I'm your host, Denise Kagan, president of DCA Virtual Business Support. At DCA, we believe in small businesses and the families they support. Learn more at dcavirtual.com. Kurt Tuford is the VP of Sales Development at DXP Enterprises, a $1 billion industrial distributor. Kurt is also a professor at the University of Houston teaching sales and marketing. He's an author and a professional speaker. He tackles topics such as sales, employee recruitment, leadership, and more. And today, we are very much going to dive into selection, development, and retention of great employees. And I know that's a hot topic Welcome to the show, Kurt. Denise, welcome. Thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to be with your listeners. And I look forward to an exciting opportunity to share a little bit. And uh, I'm ready for your questions. Perfect. So uh, professor and author and a scuba diver, I understand. How does all that mesh together? (laughs) I think it's pretty eclectic. I love teaching I've got a teaching spirit, so I've had the opportunity to stay at the University of Houston. I teach a sales and marketing course. Uh, It's in the summer right now. I used to teach in the Bauer College of Business in the master's level, and it always keeps me fresh and sharp when I get the opportunity to work with uh, students and adults. Okay, that's perfect. And scuba diving, where where do you scuba dive traditionally? I I don't know anything about scuba diving, so you can't say, don't assume... (laughs) With me. <laughs> oh, I totally understand that one. I love uh, scuba diving in the warmer climates, the Caribbean. Um, Roatan is my favorite place. It's an island off of Honduras. And I've done about six different summer mission trips where we would do water drilling projects into the villages of Honduras and then get the opportunity to scuba dive in Roatan. Oh, perfect. And thank you for sharing where that is because I definitely did not know. Yes. Um, so, As I mentioned, we're going to talk about selection, development, and retention of great employees. So let's start with what do you see kind of coming down the road? And then we're going to circle back about what's going on now. Um, What do you see coming down the road for that? What I see coming down the road is very aggressive uh, recruiting. Candidates today who are looking for work have the plethora of opportunities from work remotely, uh, I'm hearing major corporations may be floating a four-day work week. Uh, mm. Lots of different freedom cultures, maybe a little bit more on the benefits, not so much on the dollars. And the last thing I'm seeing is the ones who are looking for good talent that you can't find it. They're starting to offer uh, some aggressive wages and benefits in order to get those good, talented people away from company A, company B. It's it's getting rough out there, Denise. Freedom culture. Can you expound on that? That sounds very interesting. The freedom to, I don't like it here. I want to go somewhere else. Uh, The freedom of making money in a gig economy. I got a gig. Uh, I I just bounce from one Craigslist job to another. That's great if you're that person who can do that. For me, an employer trying to hire somebody that I want to keep for seven, eight, 12 years I'm really competing with their freedom. I don't want to do this. I don't want to work, work, work all the time like your father did so I could graduate with a watch and a little bit of tenure. I want to be able to have my culture, my lifestyle, and oh, by the way, I'll weave in a little bit of that work into it. So 
this pandemic has put us all into a new um, a new modality. Whereas before we always had to be in a cubicle at 8.30, always leave at five on a Friday into traffic. Well, now I can prove to you, I can do my job better at home. Less carbon emissions, don't have to get that parking spot. I give you phenomenal service and project management. It's hard to compete to ask those people to come back into the downtown environment, pay that overpriced parking so they can sit in a cubicle. For what? I agree. You know, we just surveyed our our team and we have a really small team, but the number we, we listed a list of eight benefits that, and it was termed as potential or current benefits. And there were monetary ones on there. And the top one across the board was flexibility. Flexibility, freedom. Absolutely. Now, I, I as we've been talking, Denise, I've, I've been in the workforce for four decades. And, and I'm starting even now to start maybe contemplating, I, I wouldn't mind a little bit of that freedom before I tap out in, the, in, a, in a decade, but that's me in my crazy work ethic from that German workforce ethic or coming up through the, if I take more than three days off, they're going to replace me mentality. That's not there in the younger generations. They, they're like, no, I'm taking three weeks to bicycle in Europe. Well, no, you're not. You, you can't work here if you do that. Well, then I don't want to work for you. And here we go. And the cycle continues. And so employers are, in my opinion, having a hard time adjusting to what the different generations feel that their cultural norms should be. You know, you've hit it right on the head. Uh, I'm, I talk to a lot of hiring managers. I talk to a lot of people who are wondering about how do we work with these diverse cultures, whether it's just the socioeconomic diversity uh, of a culture, of a background, or it's the ability to use technology to get your work done quicker and faster and to collaborate through tools like messaging and social networking. It, their arguments actually makes sense. And so we on the old fashioned crowd, we have to make these adjustments and we're not doing it with open arms and open minds, but we have to. Otherwise, we're going to lose our best employees to the more avant-garde, culture-rich environment. And I would say not just with lacking the open arms, but also not fast enough. (laughs) Wouldn't you agree that everything happens in, in a text message nanosecond? And if I don't get a text message response in six seconds, I move on. We just, we're fatigued. I I just, I can't work at that pace 24 seven. Yeah. Technology, again, this is my opinion, but I think technology jumped about 10 years in the future when the pandemic started out of necessity. Uh, What is that old adage about necessity creates solutions? And I, I don't remember precisely how it goes, but basically necessity is the mother of invention. Yes. There it is. <laughs> and because of the pandemic, asking people to work remotely, we invented things. Zoom was invented. I mean, before we were using conference calling, but now we have this new dimension called facial or visual. And so we can do things. We can share screens. We can get data faster using technology and solve problems and collaborate to the degree that I'm collaborating with you on this call, Denise. We could be in three different time zones. As long as the internet pipe is strong, we can get our work done. 
And that's being permeated into the recruiting of new talent. You can work anywhere. Mm-hmm. That's pretty appealing to me. If I want to just, you know, hop into a VRBO for two months and I could work in Florida, then I could work in Montana, then I can work in Cincinnati and still be productive. And I think from an employer perspective that that should have some appeal too, because now instead of having a regional, you know, my population here, I don't know, might be a 250,000 in the city I'm in, instead of having just the capacity to hire within this city or very localized region, I now have the whole United States or world, if that's what you choose for my company, it's the US. That's huge. It's absolutely huge. And, and, and that has so many ramifications regarding finding talented people in the smaller cities who are trying to escape the bigger cities. And now they can escape and we can still retain them. What that's just, I, do, I don't want to lose an employee with eight to 14 years of experience with my culture because they're relocating next to their grandkids in a smaller place. What, <laughs> so thank you, technology. You've done a great job to us. Uh, we'll see. As you said, everything's happening at the speed of technology. It may change again in three or four or five years, and it may never come back. This elasticity may never come back to its original form. I agree. It's interesting that you use the example of someone wanting to be near the grandchild. I moved in September 2020 to Richmond, Virginia, from Charlotte, North Carolina, to be my, my first grandchild had just arrived in February of 2020. And that was the exact reason I wanted to move here. And because of what you did and because of our technology, it takes a village to raise a family. We can now extend that because of this technology. Whereas before we couldn't, I, I, if you had a place where your employer said, Denise, I'm sorry, you cannot do that. You would leave the company. But now we can do a lot of amazing things. And with these extended families, I think that creativity will then bleed into our work productivity, maybe happy employees, happy life. I, I believe that full, full heartedly. So let's let's get back to the, the attracting and retaining. So I see, you know, we're, we're constantly hiring and we, with the great resignation, all that jazz, we're not unaffected from it. We we have lost some employees and had some churn. And we've had some of those responses that, you know, this just isn't fun for me. Literally, we have had some of those responses. So how do employers attract the talent that they need? And then once they get it here, how do they keep it? The, attract- the, the attraction of the talent still continues with the networking, maybe using elite recruiting maybe going into uh, an underdeveloped market, which is the junior college or the colleges and returning to self-paced training, where we've got to go back to training and building that culture from taking somebody with an open mind and a willing spirit, but not the experience and using the chance to train them. How do we create the stickiness? We, we're doing something at DXP that I introduced, uh, which is just... We use a service that generates a birthday card to be mailed to their home address. And we've added to that a work anniversary card to be mailed to their home address for the net total of $2 an employee. So for $2 an employee, they get two touches to their home address, a little bit celebratory, and yet it means something. It doesn't, it's not one size fits all. Not every one of our employees 
will take that card and stick it on the refrigerator. It's not like that. It's just a little more. Now we can add other cultural celebrations for birthdays and anniversaries and, and, and babies and things of that nature, but we're driving a touch point and a thoughtfulness. And that thoughtfulness permeates a little bit better than what we're doing today. And if you're telling an employer that if you're willing to invest $2 per employee, that might be the difference between spending 40000 to get a new employee and $2 to keep them. No, I, I agree completely. I um, <laughs> My company sends a card at birthdays, um, and then we do shout outs for anniversaries. But with the birthday card, we also send brownies. And the whole thing with shipping might be $12 or $15. We do totally worth it. <laughs> we, use a service. we use a service that allows you to do that. It'll package the brownies for you and ship it uh, U, uh, U, UPS, not UPS, uh, United States Postal Service. So gotcha. there's a tracking number. And Perfect. So, and, 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 you know, I don't have to say that it's a gluten-free brownie or it's a this brownie or that. It's the thought. And it's so much more than just, I, I don't know, just doing nothing is, is, is you can't do that anymore. I, I would agree. I would agree. So creating that culture. And, and I think, I think business owners misunderstand culture. They think this is this thing that they need to create out of uh, thin air where it truly is culture is your environment. It's what you start from the top and it set those expectations for your team. Would, wouldn't you say it starts with their mission statement? I believe they have to live their mission statement. If, if we take our mission statement and blow the quarter inch of dust off of it and then try to read it to the employee like it's the first time we've ever read it, that's horrible. And you know, we, we have words in our mission statement that we aspire. We aspire to be the best. And so we're never going to get there, but we're always leaning forward. We're always reminding. And that mission statement can be cultural. It can be more than just, you know, words on a wall. It could be part of a kickoff meeting. It could be part of a quarterly review meeting. And it could be part of, here's how we live it. Here's how we celebrate it. Here's how we model it. And then it gets exciting. You know, we took our mission statement and actually chunked it into four different spots. So it was mission, values. We had a um, equity statement. Oh gosh, I should know it's three different chunks. Okay. Three different chunks. So we we did that because we felt it was more digestible. I've seen some mission statements that you read and go, what did that say? Yeah. Less is more when it comes to mission statements. And when you Google some of the ones like Nike or Microsoft or Zappos, they're short and sweet and it, it's enough. It exudes enough emotion that it motivates you forward. Absolutely. And part part of what we put in there and we do model this is the the value that small businesses bring to families. Um, and, and we're very family oriented. We've not been unaffected by COVID and we've had people like, yeah, take the time off. Oh my gosh. If you're sick or your family member's sick, take the time off. Just tell us what you need us to cover. Um, and they don't need to worry if they have the time off or whatever, you know, and, and we're under, we're a small business. So we're under the certain size where some of the laws apply. Mm-hmm. Um, because I know there are some laws related to that as well. Right. <laughs> um, so, so what else for retention and what can business owners do right now to try to get ahead of that curve? I love something that I call the top X interview. So let's just role play with me for a second, if you can, Denise. Of course. So 
I say to you on a uh, on a Wednesday, I said, hey, Denise, do me a favor. Could you just kind of on a sheet of paper, write down the top seven things that you do for us that, that you think are the things that you do for us? And let's get together on Friday for a cup of coffee. So Denise is off there on a Wednesday, writing down the top seven things that she does. And then I'm in my office writing down the top seven things I think Denise does. And then on Friday, we get together and we put the two pieces of paper next to each other. It's a simple alignment. No one's wrong. No one's right. I just am curious as to why you would put those three things on your list in that order, and they're not even on my list, and I'm your boss. And then we align, and that alignment helps people to just get right back in. It didn't cost us any money. It's not threatening, and it's a fun opportunity to go, you know, you're right. I, I really appreciate, Denise, you putting that report accelerator out there. That is just wonderful. And you're like, yeah, I really kind of believe in that. I'm like, good, well, let's just add that. And then I might say, you know, some of these things I really would like you to do, we align and maybe it's quarterly or twice a year. And so it's not like we're, we're drifting so far off course that we can't course correct. And the course correct isn't uh, an indictment on your work ethic or your ability. It's just a communication. That's a wonderful alignment. And what did you call that tool again? I call it the top X interview. The top X, X being, interview. It, it, seven, six, 10. Uh, let's not leave this uh, podcast thinking, just write down the top 17 things you do. That's, that's <laughs> too much. And not the top three, because it's too little. So six or seven is a nice quantifiable number. And we can both celebrate and, and kind of just get to some alignment. I love that. That is so simple and easy to do. And and you're right. It, it does cause alignment. I think that could be used with customers too, to be honest with you. <laughs> I do it with my salespeople. I, I ask them to the good customers, what do you think the top four things we do that adds value to our relationship? Well, you got an online site, you have good pricing, great customer service. Great. And then if it isn't there, help me to understand how can we get back in alignment? Well, you're not as good as... And then they may name a, a competitor that we can get better. So switching gears ever so slightly, something came through in one of the mass amounts of information that winds up in my inbox today, literally about a law that's getting ready to, that's been proposed in the Philippines. I had to read through it because when I saw that, I was like, where is this? So the law is essentially a proposal to find employers if they disturb employees outside of their normal work hours. Um, it's basically a rest hour protection. Do you see something like that occurring here in the US? Well, from the Philippines, it's actually kind of a culture within Germany. A lot of the companies in Germany, they don't want you responding to email on the weekend. Oh, you should not even be in the office on a Saturday. When you take a vacation, you literally unplug and and so do I see it come? I, I see it coming as a uh, as a thought, and then maybe a little, little bit of a movement. And it may start in like a Patagonia or maybe an, a company that's got those progressive ways to begin with. And I think it's going to be added to that freedom culture. And in the interview process, there will be a candidate saying, uh, you know, what is your philosophy of responding to emails after hours and on weekends? That might be a differentiator. That might be a marketing tool for me. 
I might say, Denise, we're the kind of culture here where we don't ask you to work or even think about work when you're off work. And that might be for for me to get the next, you know, um, Elon Musk to work for me because of that culture. Interesting. It is very interesting. And I'm, I'm wondering how with mine, where they have the flexibility to make their own hours, how that would apply. It's a little bit harder to define work hours in the case of my, in my company specifically. In, in the case in point, in the, 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 the people I know who are living in Germany, uh, we're, I'm talking about engineers and people in a, in a nine to five or an eight to five workspace that mm-hmm. with the beauty of an iPhone, you could map your work email address. And the next mm-hmm. thing you know, you could be getting text messages saying, I need the status update on the Johnson account. And it's coming at church on Sunday. And you're like, oh, my whole train of thought has now been derailed because I've got this text message demanding a work request. Well, that doesn't happen in certain cultures. And that just might make better, happy, more productive employees when they're at their jobs. I think so, too. Um, I've actually <laughs> I've asked, actually asked some of my leadership team to delete apps when they go on vacation because I know they monitor their email. And I was like, you can't be on vacation and do that, too. No, I was at Roatan um, scuba diving, hosting Zoom calls. Oh, my. I'm just, you know, because I had to. It was a scheduled call. It was on a Thursday. And even at the tenure where I'm at, I still thought maybe my boss will give me an attaboy because he realizes I'm hosting a call from a Caribbean island. But, you know, the tragic nature is that becomes the norm. Mm-hmm. And we're, we're, what do you mean you're not taking the Zoom call? Well, I'm on vacation, but do you have, do you have access to the internet? Yeah. Well, it's only an hour. Oh my gosh. I just, I just got bullied into working and it's not an hour. It's the two hours your mind thinks about it before the call. It's the call that you're on. Then it's the two hours after the call, thinking about the action steps that you've committed to while you're on vacation and your and family any is preparation. waiting mm-hmm. Oh, they're waiting impatiently. They're not waiting patiently anymore. They're off doing their thing and you're getting the stare. Yeah, I no, I, I totally get that. And I think these are some of the pitfalls that business owners fall in without realizing that that's what they're doing. So Kurt, I understand that you have two exciting items in development. Do you want to share that with me? Well, one of the things I've got in development is an onboarding tool. And I didn't I stole this from other companies that they've just refined it a bit. So you're a new employee and you come to work and you get a document or a workbook or a manual that says the things you must know by the end of day one. And we just document the things you need to know by the end of day one, week one, month one, quarter one. These expectations are there. So now my employee knows this is what's expected of me by the end of these milestones, day, week, month, quarter. And we can align, we can have a business meeting. This could be a Zoom call. I could hire somebody remotely from uh, Richmond, Virginia, and we could have these calls and you could be in alignment. And if I ask at the end of month one, how are we doing? And you're like, what are you talking about? Well, I'm talking about the notebook I gave you. And I, oh, I lost it already. Well, now I have a red flag. And, yeah. and, I, and, and, and so, or the person calls me on the phone and says, okay, I'm done with my first quarter assignment at the end of my first week. Okay, now we have a good runaway train. We've got an overachiever. So (laughs) that's a wonderful thing that I have in process that that works really well. Okay, 
that sounds super exciting. And your book, Five Stones for Slaying Giants. Tell me a little bit about that real quick. Sure. So when I was a professional speaker before I became the VP of sales development at DXP, in the speaking culture, there's a lot of publisher parish. And I wrote the book, Five Stones for Slaying Giants, to complement my keynotes and my workshops and and my breakout sessions. And it was used as a back-of-the-room sales uh, technique. So I self-published it, and I I just reread it about three weeks ago. And tragically, it's it's old. It's smelly. My analogies, <laughs> my analogies are for movies that somebody who's 30 years old wouldn't even relate to because I wrote it in my culture. You know, I wrote that maybe 20 years ago in my culture. So I was 40. So now if somebody picks up the book at 22, they're scratching their head going, I don't understand all of this. So it's, it's due for a rewrite, but the idea is simple. There's five stones, and it comes from a biblical analogy of uh, David and Goliath. And David went to the stream, and he picked up five stones, one for Goliath, but he knew that there were four other brothers. So the five stones are passion. you got to have passion for what you do. Excellence, you've got to be excellent at what you do. Passion alone just makes you motivated. But if you're an idiot, then you have, you're a motivated idiot. You just don't have enough. Passion and excellence are the first two stones. Vision, you got to have a vision for where you're going. And if you're a leader, you're where you're carrying your team. So it's passion, excellence, vision. Fourth stone is value. How do you add value? How do you pay it forward? If you're a parent, how can you be a great grandparent? If you're a, a, a spouse, how can you be a great spouse? The value that you add in the fifth stone is confidence. You can't have confidence if you're lacking the first four stones, you just, you just, you have to. And so those five common stones can relate to managing people, managing projects, uh, being a good listener, being a good athlete, uh, being a good human. All of those can be uh, intertwined in those five stones. Well, that is excellent. How can our listeners find you after the podcast? It's, you know, my last name is unique. It's Tufert, T-U-E-F-F-E-R-T. I'm in LinkedIn. And then you'll love this as an email address, Tufert, which is my last name, at AOL.com. So the under 30 crowd is scratching their head thinking this guy isn't even real. I said, well, <laughs> it's, it's, it's AOL. It's not CompuServe. So it's still out there and it still gets to me. You're laughing because you and I must share the same genre of of age. (laughs) (laughs) I think so. (laughs) Okay. This is awesome. I'll make sure that your LinkedIn profile is also linked in the the show notes so that folks can find you. Okay. Um, Kurt, anything else that I should have asked that I didn't? You know, I just love the quote, catch on fire with enthusiasm and people will come from miles around to watch you burn. (laughs) And I just think we need to be enthusiastic. Absolutely. Enthusiasm. I love it. Well, thank you so much. And I appreciate you sharing your expertise. You bet. Thank you for joining me for today's Nurture Small Business podcast, where the focus is on business growth, technology, and people strategies to help your business thrive. At DCA Virtual Business Support, our focus is making your business operations run smooth so you can focus on growth. Reach out to me at denise at dcavirtual.com if you'd like to learn more.